Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, if you're new and this is your first night with us, I, keep, I'm, I usually say morning, I have to keep in my head it's nighttime. This is your first night with us, welcome. Uh, I'd love for all of us to get out our Bibles if you have them. Uh, if not, you can use your phones. We also have, Hannah would love to hand you out some from the back. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you're going to laugh at this, but we are going to be in the book of Matthew, uh, believe it or not. We, we've been going through Matthew for uh, over a year. Um, but we will be rewinding back to one of the first few weeks we did in Matthew, to Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1, and I just want to share uh, the Christmas story and the hope that we have in Jesus uh, every Christmas, which is awesome. Uh, even though, like Nick uh, wittingly said, we are, we are two days early, um, but that'll be okay. I think it's okay that it's, it's, we can celebrate it today. So, uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 21, this is what Matthew's account says about the Christmas story. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if, if you've ever read any of the, there's four accounts of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew starts off, if you kind of look a little bit before, he starts off with this really long genealogy. And it's fun to read and try to guess all the names and how to pronounce them. Um, but we often forget at Christmas time that this baby who was born, Jesus, uh, that it had been a long time coming for these Jewish people who had been waiting for this Messiah to come for us. We know the story uh, in terms of we're past that. So when we celebrate it every year, we, we're not, we don't have the same anticipation, right? Uh, we get excited when we sing Christmas songs because it reminds us, unless some of you are crazy and you listen to Christmas music all year. Uh, but I am very much like December 1st is when I listen to Christmas music. I don't know if anyone else can resonate. That's correct. That's the way to do it. <laughs> Nick's our worship leader. He said that. So I think that means it's fact, right? But it, it is this, I, like, for us to draw in the anticipation of Jesus, it can sometimes be hard because we didn't grow up a Jewish um, person waiting for Jesus, and we hadn't had this rich history. And so what I want to do is I just want to spend like a few minutes on just in, on building this anticipation for us as we understand it from a Jewish lens, and then I just want to talk about these two verses and what they mean in light of that now for us. And so the first part is this anticipation that they have um, up until Jesus being born, the Hebrew story was very much unfinished. Uh, if you were to go to the first few pages of your Bible, you see that God creates this universe and, and Adam and Eve people, and he gives them this command to make the world great, to take care of it, to flourish, all that stuff, right? To have kids. And they screwed up, and they sin, and they basically think they're better than God, and then uh, casts them out of this garden, and then he, he chooses this nation that we call Israel, which is the Jewish people to be essentially a beacon of the way that he wants things to go on earth, that the way they should go. And so they have this long story of, of the Israelites um, given these, these laws and this sort of uh, culture that God wants them to follow, and they just obliterate it almost every week. Like, they totally fail all the time. 
they break laws, and there are laws to sacrifice and atone for those broken laws, but it's just this never-ending cycle of, of sinning and, and causing problems. And if you were a Jewish person at the time of Jesus, you were well aware of having to atone, is the word, to make right your sin before God. And these people had been dealing with not only their own sin, but their own sin caused chaos around them with several different nations and tribes. And so then they spent, if you, if you, and the rest of the Bible is talking about, in the Old Testament, it talks about different prophets and kings who were trying to essentially, the kings were trying to rule Israel, right? And they, most of them didn't do very well. Uh, and then the prophets tried to be the mouthpiece of God, to, to tell them, hey, you know, you're going the wrong way, you need to turn back, or you need to avoid this, or whatever it may be. And then all that continues to get worse and worse and worse to the point where then all of a sudden uh, Babylon comes in and kind of wrecks Jerusalem and the temple and, and them and, and takes them off to exile. So then you have these several um, dozens and dozens of years where they're in exile under like a Babylon culture, which was not Christian. It was uh, polytheistic, lots of different gods, right? And there's this small remnant of Israelites that, that kind of get through this and go back and eventually kind of restore Jerusalem. And I tell you this because as a Jewish person, you would know all these stories, right? It wasn't only that you would know them out of the, the, the Bible at their time was the Torah, but you, you would know all the stories um, of the prophets and what they had said and, and the, the time of exile. I mean, imagine if your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents and all for 300 years were in exile. You would know about it. Like, it would be a story, right? Because when you're free, you would think about all that had happened these last couple hundred years that gr built this great reality for you being free. And a lot of times we can't really put our mindset in that way. But for us, the, the beauty of Jesus and him being born affects us just as much as it does the Jewish people. But at this time, the, the language that's being used is important. And so it says in, in the first verse, it says he'll be, called, he'll be named Jesus. Now, for us, uh, we don't always realize this, but Jesus is the English translation of his name. Uh, when we say Jesus, it actually is in the Greek, Jesus, uh, Y-E-S-U-S, and that's actually the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua. And the Yeshua has two parts to it. It's Yeho and Shua, which means Yahweh saves. So like similar to Joshua, right? Like we have the word Joshua. It would be very similar, Yehoshua. And for us, we, we know Jesus, right? That's what we call him. Um, but in, 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 this, in this part of the scriptures, to say you will call him Jesus has great weight to any Jewish listener. Because the Jewish listener was anticipating God restoring and making all things right because they knew that the way things were going was not good. And they knew that the laws could only do so much that our human hearts continually rebel against them and it was this exhausting process of people uh, continually rebelling from God. And so every Jewish person is waiting for Yahweh, which is the name of the God at the Old Testament, to come save them. So ironically, we don't realize this, but there's a lot of irony in Jesus' name because his name literally means Yahweh saves. It means God saves. And so God, the Father in the Old Testament, brings his son, Yahweh saves, to save them. So Yahweh sends Yahweh saves to save them. Do you see the irony in that? You're like, that, I get it, Trey. I get the name now. And so the, these listeners listening to Matthew and like trying to understand this for themselves are realizing, oh, that's, that's an interesting name, right? Like there's clearly some meaning there. And so the first reality that we have to understand of why Christmas matters and why it's such a big deal is, is to actually point to um, Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter. I know that we're several months away from Easter, so I don't want to do a full Easter message here, but Easter is all about Jesus actually living out the perfect life and dying for our sins on, on uh, his sacrifice for us. 
But Christmas is a celebration of the fact that he came and did that, right? That he was born among us. And for his name being Yahweh saves, it is this glimpse that, that humanity would finally be saved. First through the Jewish people who at the time would kind of understand this. And now you're sitting in a chair where Jesus saves you, whether you're Jewish or not. Um, and the Bible often calls them Gentiles, but you, you know, you're basically a Jew or a Gentile, one or the other. And Jesus has come for all of them. And I think what is really important about understanding Jesus coming and being born on earth and coming and dying for our sins is, is, like I said, the Jewish people had hundreds of years of this whole sacrificial law thing not really working out, right? They had um, been burdened and, and had this weight on their shoulders of this law. And some of it was, like, really good. It's not like, it was, like the law was bad, right? The law was there to reveal God's heart for people and, and flourishing on his creation, but it was oftentimes really hard for a lot of these people. And then the religious leaders took the law and they strangled it, right, and made it even harder and more legalistic and more ridiculous. And so all these people, a Jewish person was well aware of their sin. They were very well aware of their sin because they had to go and give a bird or a goat or something to the temple and watch it be killed and atone for their sin. Like they had to visually watch it. They had to make a trip to Jerusalem and they had to see this a couple times a year through different things and especially through Passover. And so a Jewish person, you didn't need to tell them they were a sinner. They knew it. They had understood it and they they had physically engaged in the act of understanding how atonement works. Whereas Americans, we're not not so good at that. We, uh, We have to be a little more convinced that we are sinners. I usually use the illustration of a toddler. You don't have to work too hard to talk about a toddler being selfish and wanting what they want. But uh, you also don't have to go very far in the news to find out that our world is broken, that there's problems, that there's depravity, that there's, uh, the world is not the way that we, that we want it or that it should be. Um, whether it's in America, whether it's in other countries, whether it's in our families, like we've had, we come from broken families, we come from broken neighborhoods. Uh, we are in a nation that uh, is great in a lot of ways, but also very broken. And we're in a world that's broken. And this, this sin that separates us from God that um, in the Old Testament had to be atoned for Jesus finally comes and he's finally saving them from their sin and us from our sins. And so when he's born, there's rejoicing by the Jewish people because they have this hope that these things might finally be made right. And so in the same way, we have that hope. And that's where Jesus' death and Easter come into play. And that's why the two of these, I think, matter deeply. Um, And so as we get into the Christmas story, specifically the birth, the second line in Matthew 1 is incredibly important. In verse 22 and 23 in Matthew, it says this, This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. And then he's quoting, Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will, na- they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Matthew here is pulling from a prophet, Isaiah, in a couple different chapters in Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet who kind of uh, laid forth this idea that this Messiah, this Savior would come, the Christ would come, and not only save them of their sins, but we know in this beautiful idea that he is God with us. And it says Emmanuel. You might be confused. You're like, I thought his name was Jesus, and now they're saying Emmanuel, right? But it's more of this, this just nickname or name for Jesus, that he's coming as a God with us. We sing that song often on Sundays, God with us. And it's not God is, is with us, it's God with us, meaning that God, even though he is with you in your life and where you're at, that he also literally came down as a human to live a life among us. And I, I don't know about you, but um, if you were a powerful king or queen in the world um, and you get to that point, it would be pretty radical for you to spend your time in the slums. 
it would be pretty radical for you when you could eat whatever you want to eat the, the most uh, poor person meal that you could have. It would be pretty radical of you to not own a nice car or have a house with heat or even have a mattress, right? Like all of those things, if you're a king, you get. And you don't even just get, you get like the massive circular bed that's the size of a football field that spins, right? Like, you know what I mean? You get the best of the best. You don't even get the average stuff, right? I, I don't know what cars you like, but you get the nice, nice, nice cars. They make like 10 of, right? And you can't drive them anywhere because of the Columbus roads, right? Because you would just destroy the bottom of them. But that is, that is how ridiculous it is that God is not just with us. He's not just for us, but it's God with us in that he is becoming human and experiencing it like, like any of us would. And there's a lot of beauty to that, not just the fact that he endures that, and for us, like, that's really cool, what a humble God, but that he also experiences it, so in, in some ways, I think, like, he has the most powerful street cred on the block. Like, he has witnessed and endured anything that we could think of. I talked on Sunday about how I think Jesus experienced some of the most ridiculous, hard uh, loneliness that, that anybody could experience. Because he knew he was going to die, and all of his friends, all of his followers, all of his close people had no idea what was going to happen, and, and they were arguing, and he was really just like super alone the last week or so of his life. And, and for us, we, we resonate then because we realize God is not distant and unaware of the fact that when we're lonely, that he, he wasn't able to experience that reality for himself. And also that he cares, that Jesus was willing to cry, right, for the hardship of death, and, and that the, the world is not the way that he Wants it. So God with us is this reminder that when he became a little baby, that he would eat and sleep and poop and cry and laugh um, and do a lot of different things. He probably didn't tell any dad jokes, right, because he wasn't a dad, but, but pretty much everything else, right, like he did, right? And, and he, had, he was a carpenter for a very long time, right? He lived in a podunk town. I don't know if whenever um, Abby read, you know, Nazareth, like that was not like a cool town. They didn't have a very good food scene, I'm sure. Uh, it, was, it was just like a podunk town. People made fun of it. It was literally the end of jokes in that culture. So he had like just the most mundane, if, if not even mundane, just like average or crappy life as a Jewish person. But God just doesn't do this haphazardly. And so as we read the, the story, um, as Abby kind of alluded to in Luke 2, I want to talk about when he, be, when he comes with us, when he has his, his birthday, right, like he's born, um, who does God the Father decide to include in this party? Because for us, um, you know, we, like I said, we're not maybe Jewish and had anticipating this for hundreds of years, but we can see by who he invites, who he wants to include in this, this birth and also, honestly just Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. So in Luke 2, if you want to turn there, you can, but um, I'm going to read it in Luke, Luke chapter 2 here, verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So really just setting the scene for the groups he'll invite, but this is not a good place. Like I've had, uh, I have not had, my wife has had two kids. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, thinking about having a baby in like that environment would be pretty terrible. Uh, I would be incredibly stressed, not a lot of medical help, everybody's busy. And I just, the fact that God was like, yeah, we're just going to do that there. We're not going to put him in the palace. We're not going to, like, craft some crazy, like, sun, fill, pillar of fire, like, over top of him, right? It's this super, just humble, lowly manger, right? That was probably not even sanitary, to be honest with you. And so that's where he's born. And then this is what happens right after that verse. 
Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. And an angel appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. Listen, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior, your Savior, remember, saves us from our sins. Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ, the Messiah. He is the Lord. And then they say, this will be a sign for you. You'll find him in this manger. And what I love is, is uh, you know, G, uh, God spends his angels' songs on these lame, average shepherdmen, shepherd, uh, shepherds, right? Like, it's like, I'm going to build this really nice number, and then I'm going to give it to these people. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's a, and it just seems like a very terrible waste of money. If you were going to make this massive play, and you are going to reenact Hamilton, and then you invited, like, ten people who don't even like theater, like, you're wasting your time. Why, why do all that, right? Unless you're really trying to send a message, which God is, and he's basically saying, I want to pick the least important people, and I'm going to make this big, grand scene. I'm going to have angels show up. They're going to sing. The, the shepherds are going to be terrified because they're just out in the fields trying to do their job. And those are the people who I'm going to invite first. So if it wasn't already humble enough that Jesus was born in a cow trough, now he invites the lowest of the low to the scene. And they, they actually hurried off in verse 16. They find the baby lying in the manger and, uh, and said what had happened. And the shepherds, after returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had all heard and seen everything was just as they had been told. So that's the first group. The second group is, is back in Matthew 2. We, we read about these wise men. Now, if you have a nativity scene, you typically put the wise men in the nativity scene, but they wouldn't have been there technically yet. So what I like to do is put the wise men on the other side of the room. And then when people come over, they say, Trey, why are the wise men over there? And I say, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'll read the story. It's being, just being historically accurate. Okay? Any historians, you know that's important, right? Things matter. Okay? So the wise men eventually show up. Okay? And... The wise men are what I would say are like the spiritual seekers. They are the spiritual buffet people, okay? Coming from the East, in the East there was a lot of different fun of religions. It was almost like a game, right? Kind of like the Stoics and the philosophers would just sit around and listen to people's ideas for fun. It's like, oh, like entertain me with a new idea. Wow, that's fascinating. It was kind of the same thing with religion for these wise men. And so they're curious. they got nothing better to do. They're going to go check out this Christ and probably try to add a, another tool to their tool belt of religions because whatever works and makes them better, they'll add it to the tool belt, right? And so they talked to the king to get directions, basically, King Herod at the time, and uh, the religious leaders. And after listening to the king, they went, and at once they had a star that pointed them, as if that wasn't cool enough, and led them to the child. As they came into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think it's interesting that they see this baby, and like, I mean, for all intents and purposes, we're assuming this is, Jesus is cool, but probably a normal baby in terms, like, it wasn't like he was glowing, didn't have a halo on, right? Um, even though a lot, of mo, uh, a lot of historic art would have, like, you know, a little gold thing around, right? Just normal baby, probably no halo, okay? And these, these wise men bow down and worship him. Now, I don't know if it was an act of just honor, but... But they are immediately caught by Jesus and this reality. And what I think is so cool is that God led these spiritual seekers right to Jesus. And then let them sort of take this, this journey of like, okay, is this, is this really our Lord? Or is this another tool in our tool belt, right? Is this someone who we really want to 
bow down and worship, and they give him, obviously, like treasure and expensive things. But then the last group of people that actually hear about the party, maybe they don't get a formal like invite or evite, but they, they know about it, is the, the religious leaders and the political superpowers. The, the king and his cabinet and the religious leaders, the Pharisees at the time, and they get an invite and they don't go. And I, I think that's telling of how pride stops us from even being like a wise man who shows up curious, right? Their pride doesn't even allow them to step into the story. And so as, as, we, as we wrap up the story of Jesus becoming flesh, right, God with us, and dying and, and coming so that he would save us, Yahweh saves, dies for our sins, I think it's so important to just identify that these are the types of group, groups of people that are invited, that God willingly allows into his story. And for us, as we celebrate it each year, we might not be a Jewish citizen who's been waiting for hundreds of years. Is, is this truly the Messiah? But us knowing the end of the story, thinking that, God has done everything that he possibly can to show you that he is for the lowly, that he is for the downtrodden, the broken, and the the socially insignificant. And that in that, we see this beautiful story of Jesus and that he's born in a humble manger. He dies like an incredibly um, ridiculous death for us. And God purposely did this for us. So there's like one nugget to just hold on to as we, we celebrate Christmas. It's that... You are never um, too low for God to reach for because he proves it with not only the, the birth story but the people he invites. And you are never too far off from receiving his gift and saving you of your sins. And so as I invite uh, Jerry up here to wrap up, I just think about we always uh, contrast when we gather, have an opportunity of like response. And uh, for us, the response is that we partake in the bread and the cup which is on my left and right, and is gluten-free. So that's great. Um, but it's a reminder for us. And then we take it, it's funny, this is typically taken on Good Friday as a reminder that Jesus' body was, was killed for us, his blood shed and his body, and that's the symbol that we think of. But I think on Christmas it actually matters just as much because what he was going to do after he becomes a human is live a human life and die a human death for us. And without that, um, he would just be another good teacher Right, um, but he proves that he is God, that he can defeat death, and that 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 gift is for all of us. So, uh, we're gonna give you a little bit of time if you'd like, if you like, believe in that, if you want to follow Jesus, if you have been following Jesus, you want to remind yourself of that for this Christmas time that Jesus did not only die for our sins and for the world's sins, but uh, that He's present with us, and that's the reminder of that. Uh, you can take that. We'll have a little bit of time, and then we'll sing two more songs as we close tonight. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.